You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Zags, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host as always, Stephen Carr. Did you know college football starts three weeks from tomorrow? The Locked On Network has you covered with all conference podcasts imaginable. There's no better place to get all of your conference news than following our Locked On Conference podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Today is Friday, August 6th. It is another Gonzaga five-star Friday, and we are now 95 days away from the start of college basketball. And the number 95 is symbolic in Gonzaga history because it is the number of blocks that Josh Heitfeld had in his career. When he left school, those 95 blocks were fifth most in school history. Uh, but since then, he has been passed by Rob Sacre, by Shemek Karnowski, and of course by Brandon Clark. So now, those 95 blocks by Josh Heitfeld ranks eighth in program history. Come back on Monday to find out what the number 92 has in store for us as we continue the countdown to November 9th and the home opener against Dixie State College Basketball, almost here. Okay, today on the show, we are looking back on the 2004 Gonzaga Bulldogs, the first GU team to have an undefeated WCC season and a team that earned the best seeding in school history before having perhaps the most baffling tournament loss of the last 25 years. We'll also continue our path to playing time series by talking about Hunter Salas. Today is Five Star Friday, so why not talk about a five-star freshman? We'll talk about what he has to do to earn minutes or possibly even start uh, this coming season. Before we get there, two pieces of news I want to talk about, and the first one is some recruiting news, and that's 2022 forward A.J. Casey has cut his list to eight schools, and Gonzaga, of course, makes that list of eight. Also on the list is Ohio State, Michigan, DePaul, Florida, Marquette, Illinois, and Memphis. We have talked about A.J. Casey several times on this podcast. Roger Powell has been on A.J. Casey for a very, very long time. He has been their priority target at the forward position uh, probably for two years now. Um, and so he did a interview with uh, Tipton Edits, Joe Tipton. He now has his own website called on3.com. And he talked about all eight schools um, that is in his final eight. And so this is what he said about Gonzaga. Quote, Gonzaga always has a powerhouse program. They're always in the tournament. Me, Coach Powell, Coach Michelson, we all have that same connection. Coach Roger started recruiting me my sophomore year. So we have a stronger relationship. He's one of those guys who's always sending me film, things I need to work on to get better. He's just one of those real coaches and someone who's going to keep it real with you. For those that don't know, AJ Casey is a 6'8 forward out of the Chicago area. In the 24-7 sports composite, he's ranked 35 overall nationally. Um, If you just take uh, 247 sports individual rankings, they have him 58 nationally. But either way, he's anywhere between a top 30 and a top 60 recruit uh, and a guy who would probably be one of those either two and done or three and done uh, type prospects. But one that Gonzaga has been on, and especially Roger Powell has been on for a couple of years, he is the priority forward target. Anthony Black, 
along with uh, Jaden Bradley are the two priority guard targets in the class of 2022. He has not yet made an official visit to Gonzaga, but he says that that is um, one of the schools that he would like to take an official visit to uh, here in the future, along with Florida. The only official visit he's taken so far is to Ohio State. And a lot of these 2022 recruits have just simply not have time to uh, make official visits to schools because of the pandemic. So you should be seeing a lot more official visits from these 2022 kids uh, here in the fall, especially those looking at Gonzaga. They've got several good home games. They've got craziness in the kennel. And they also have Hoop Fest coming up in September this year if they want to bring out um, some kids to go to, uh, you know, kind of explore Spokane and see what Hoop Fest has to offer. Um, that would be a really fun weekend to bring a recruit on campus as well. And then the other piece of news here is just a, a summer league schedule for you if you guys are interested in watching some. NBA Summer League with some former Zags this weekend. Tonight is Killian Tilly going up against Zach Norvell. It's the San Antonio Spurs going against the Memphis Grizzlies. That game is on at 4 o'clock Pacific time. That game's on ESPNU. And then on Sunday, it will be our first chance to look at Corey Kispert in a Washington Wizards uniform. They're going to take on the Indiana Pacers at 5 o'clock Pacific time. The game's going to be on NBA TV. Los Angeles Lakers will also play on Sunday night in the Las Vegas Summer League. Uh, they went 1-1 one and one in the California Classic. Joel Yai had a decent first game and then a kind of a quiet, nondescript second game where he didn't score a point, but he had five rebounds. So the Lakers are going to play Sunday night, 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. They're taking on the Phoenix Suns. That game will be on ESPN2 for those interested in watching that. We're going to have to wait until Monday to get our first look at Jalen Suggs in a Magic uniform. His first game with the Magic will come Monday night at 5 p.m. That game is going to be on NBA TV, and they are taking on the Warriors. So a quick recap. Tonight, 4 o'clock, San Antonio Spurs versus the Memphis Grizzlies. Zach Norvell and Killian Tilly, 4 o'clock, ESPNU. Sunday, Corey Kispert plays at 5 p.m. Pacific time on NBA TV. Joel Yai plays at 7.30 on ESPN2. And then on Monday, our first look at Jalen Suggs, 5 p.m., the Orlando Magic and the Golden State Warriors on NBA TV. Okay, that's enough for the news and notes. A quick one today. Coming up, we reminisce on the 2004 Gonzaga Bulldogs. It's a very veteran team with a superstar freshman, and they end up having the best season in school history up to that point. Before we get there, of course, today's episode is being sponsored by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market, and they have a new flavor out right now called Rocky Road. That's right, Rocky Road with marshmallow and almond. Available for you at BuiltBar.com. Of course, they have all of their normal flavors as well. Salted caramel, cookies and cream, double chocolate, orange, strawberry, anything you can want. If you're not sure what you want, feel free to get a mixed box with multiple flavors. All of them are soft, easy to chew, and absolutely delicious. Not only do they taste great, but they're healthy too. They're great for the health conscious guy, and also for anyone looking to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Most Built Bars have 17 grams of protein and just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. So go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. It's so LOCK15, you'll get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Okay, we mentioned yesterday in that 2003 um, Gonzaga look back that that season was kind of a transition year. You know, Dan Dicka was gone, but they knew the following year that they'd be getting Adam Morrison in, and then all of these really good players would be upperclassmen. 
So coming into the 2004 season, they have a senior year Blake Stepp, a senior year Corey Violet, a senior year Kyle Bankhead and Tony Skinner and Richard Fox. And then they also have a junior year Roni Turioff. I mean, just those people alone uh, is a solid core group. But then they also add um, really talented freshmen in uh, Adam Morrison and Sean Mallon. So they enter the season with super high expectations. They're ranked 10th in the country uh, in the preseason polls. And they play number 17, St. Joe's at Madison Square Garden in the uh, Coaches versus Cancer Classic. And St. Joe's beats them. Jameer Nelson uh, just lights them up. 20 points, 10 assists, 8 rebounds. He was two rebounds shy of a triple-double. They beat Gonzaga 73-66. to So they start the year 0-1. That is one of two losses they took the entire regular season. They go on to beat Georgia in overtime. They smacked Washington on the road by 25. They ended up beating Maryland by double digits. They beat Missouri um, at home. And at the time, Missouri was ranked number three. They ended up not being very good and missed the tournament altogether. Uh, But they came in with huge expectations that Missouri team did. And at the time, they were ranked number three. So it was a huge win uh, in overtime at home. A week later, they would lose their only other game of the entire regular season, and that was a neutral site game against the Stanford team, who was ranked seventh at the time, but would go on to uh, win 26 straight games uh, to start the season. Stanford was 26-0 that year. They were ranked number one. They ended up getting a number one seed, and that Stanford team was so good. I remember one of my first real big college basketball memories was watching that undefeated Stanford team growing up in the Bay Area. And one of my favorite memories as a child, I think I was like 12 at the time, um, but they were playing Arizona at home uh, and Arizona was in the top 15. And the game was on ABC. It was Brent Musburger, it was Dickie V. And Stanford hit a buzzer-beating three-pointer from half court. It was Nick Robinson off of a steal of Salim Stoudemire. Uh, and the place was just going nuts. Tiger Woods was in attendance. It, the, you can look it up on YouTube. It's called The Shot, um, Arizona and Stanford. And the funniest thing is Brent Musburger and Dickie V are just both super excited. And they just keep yelling over each other for a good 10 to 15 seconds. It makes for some pretty entertaining TV. All that is to say, Gonzaga only lost 87-80, to and they competed with them throughout the entire game. So that's kind of when Gonzaga knew that they were a legitimately good team that season is they went toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in all of college basketball. That, like I said, would be Gonzaga's last loss until the NCAA tournament. They rattled off 21 straight wins. This is the first time in program history where they went undefeated in the WCC. They went 14-0, and every single win was by double digits. 14-0 in conference play, and every single win was by at least 10 points. So they get to the conference tournament, and of course, they have a grinder against Santa Clara. And that game against Santa Clara, Santa Clara actually was up uh, by 11 midway through the second half. Gonzaga uh, both Roni Turioff and Blake Stepp were just having miserable nights. Um, the game was super physical. Uh, and then at the end, Blake Stepp finally hit a three to give them the lead. Santa Clara came back, retook the lead. And then Roni Turioff had two huge putbacks in the final minute, including the game winner with five seconds left. Gonzaga holds off Santa Clara 63-62 to win their 19th straight game. They would go on the next night 
to beat up St. Mary's and win the WCC championship. So they've won 20 straight games at this point. They entered the NCAA tournament 27-2, and and they're ranked number three in all of college basketball. But unfortunately, they can't get a number one seed because they're in the same region as Stanford. And so they get the number two seed. And they beat the crap out of Valpo in the first round, 76 to 49. And there's just, there's no signals or uh, messages that this team is going to have a letdown whatsoever. And then all of a sudden, they play 10th seed in Nevada in the second round, and they just get stomped. And it's just, it's one of the weirdest losses in school history. This team that had been so good and flattened everybody all season long comes out and they lose by 20 to, and not just lose by 20, they give up 91 points. That was a season high. Uh, nobody, and they haven't given up 91 points all season long, and they give up 91 points to 10th seed in Nevada, who lost earlier in the year to Portland and to SMU, who was in the you know 150s in Ken Palm. Um, so the game just, it didn't make any sense at all. They lose 91 to 72, um, Nevada. And if you look at the box score, um, it's not like Nevada was unbelievable shooting the ball. I mean, they only shot the ball 47% from the field, but they just got to the foul line all the time. And Roni Turioff was in foul trouble the entire game. He only played 15 minutes. Um, they just, they couldn't, Gonzaga just could not do anything defensively to stop Nevada. And Nevada, to their credit, they also beat Michigan State two two days prior, who was the seventh seed. So they beat Michigan State. They beat Gonzaga. Uh, Of course, they would lose in the Sweet 16 to Georgia Tech. And this is kind of the first season where, like, the public kind of turns back against Gonzaga, right? They were this lovable underdog who had gone to three straight Sweet 16s. Everybody's like, where in the world is Gonzaga? Where is Spokane? And then they finally become... You know, this semi powerhouse, they get a number two seed and then they lose early in the tournament. And then, as we'll talk about the next couple of episodes starting next week, they get another high seed and lose early in the tournament. And then comes Adam Morrison's junior year where they uh, lose a late lead against UCLA uh, in a tournament they probably should have advanced further in again. So, uh, I think this is the first season where, where fans, you know, the general public, not Gonzaga fans, of course, but the general public kind of starts to turn against Gonzaga. And there's still that kind of public perception um, from people who don't follow college basketball closely that like mid-2000s Gonzaga is like somehow the same as 2022 Gonzaga, which is nowhere near the case. Uh, but still, it was... Um, the the first real disappointment in the NCAA tournament was this 2004 Gonzaga Bulldogs uh, Gonzaga Bulldogs team number two seed who loses by 20 points in the second round to 10th seed in Nevada. Of course, they had plenty of uh, bright spots. Roni Turioff led the team in scoring that year with 15 and a half points, six and a half rebounds. But Blake Stepp, he was uh, named second team consensus All-American. He was the WCC player of the year again for back-to-back seasons. We mentioned this yesterday, but he's the only player in the Mark Few era to average six-plus assists multiple times in a career. He holds the record for most assists in a single game with 16, 
and he's third all-time in Gonzaga history with 640 career assists, and he's also third all-time for single-season assist record uh, with 207 in his senior year behind Matt Santangelo and Josh Perkins in both career assists and single-season assists. Corey Violet averaged 14 points and eight rebounds as a senior. Adam Morrison was the fourth uh, leading scorer on this team and the fourth double-figure scorer on this team. He had 11.5 points, so four different Double-figure scores. I believe that's the first time of the Mark Few era where they've had four separate double-figure scores. Then I also want to give a shout-out to Kyle Bankhead. His senior year, he shot 55% from deep. 55% from deep. I don't think you guys understand how impossible that is. 55% from deep. He was 41 for 75 from the three-point line. Uh, An incredible senior season shooting the ball for Kyle Bankhead. So I want to talk about their style of play. This is when they started using a lot more uh, UCLA action. And one of their favorite things, and we'll talk about this again uh, in two more episodes when we talk about the 2016, but they used a UCLA entry, which is a UCLA cut is essentially a back screen at the elbow. And then you can do a plenty of other a- actions off of that. And one of their favorite ones is to set a UCLA screen for the point guard uh, who would just pass it to a wing and then they'd either get a post-isolation or they would follow it up with a ball screen followed by a pin down uh, or, or they would have something else going on the weak side. So the UCLA stuff started uh, a lot more in the 2003-2004 season and then they kind of perfected it uh, with Adam Morrison. And like I said, we'll talk about that um, in the next couple of episodes. But they also did uh, a lot of purposeful um you know, high-low actions to get Corey Violet and to get Roni Turi off the ball. They've got this one set that they used to run a ton, and I like to call it power, and it starts with a back screen from a guard to a big man. So, for example, Tony Skinner would set a back screen for uh, Corey Violet, and then he would pop out to the wing. The ball would go to Tony Skinner, and he would look inside to Corey Violet. If he's open, he throws it to him, but if he's not, the opposite big comes flashing up to the top of the key. They'll reverse it to him, and he is throwing inside to a wide-open Corey Violet who has the entire lane to work with because on the weak side, they're setting uh, a pin-down screen to occupy the defense over there. So they get a ton, a ton, a ton of high-low looks in this power set that they run all the time and is especially useful uh, with Corey Violet and Roni Turioff because they were such powerful, powerful uh, interior players and used their bodies really, really well. They also still ran flex as one of their primary offenses. They still used uh, Carolina secondary entry, which they used pretty much until the early 2010s. Um, But like I said, they started using a lot more UCLA cuts uh, as one of their um, primary uh, initiators um, starting in the 2003-2004 season. Okay, that's going to do it for today's trip down memory lane. On Monday, of course, we'll talk about the 2005 Gonzaga Bulldogs. Ronnie Turioff comes back for his senior year. Adam Morrison has a huge breakout sophomore year. And J.P. Batista enters the fold. Coming up to finish today's show, we're talking about Hunter Salas' path to playing time. It's Five Star Friday. Hunter Salas is a five-star freshman. So let's talk about him. What does he have to do to earn playing time right away? And is there any chance that he can enter himself into the starting lineup? We'll break that down to finish today's episode. Okay, like I said, because it is Five Star Friday, our Path to Playing Time series today is going to talk about one of Gonzaga's five-star freshmen. 
Today, we're talking about Hunter Salas, 6'5 combo guard, named Gatorade Player of the Year in the state of Nebraska, and he's ranked in the top 25 by every major recruiting service, and he's as high as number seven uh, overall by 247 Sports. And he's one of several guards fighting for playing time at the three perimeter spots. We've talked on this program before about the math, but I just kind of want to give a reminder for those that are new or don't remember what I'm talking about here. There are 120 minutes to be had in each game at the one, the two, and the three spots on the floor. Andrew Nemhard is going to start, obviously, and he seems like he's a lock to play at least 35 minutes in big games. So essentially, that puts Gonzaga at 85 minutes per game to allocate to Hunter Salas, Nolan Hickman, Rashir Bolton, Dominic Harris, and Julian Strother. Five guys fighting for roughly 85 minutes of playing time. That should be enough uh, to have these guys just battling it out every single practice. And in an ideal world, this should turn into a true iron sharpens iron situation. So if we bring this all the way back to Hunter Salas now, the question is, how does he move himself to the head of that depth chart? In my opinion, the path to playing time for Hunter Salas is to adapt quickly. Out of those five guys we just mentioned, three of them are brand new to the program in Hunter Salas, Nolan Hickman, and Rashir Poulton. Whoever gets off to the best start in practices may have the leg up when it comes to early playing time. And we know by the start of February, Mark Few and his staff typically is down to a seven or eight man rotation. So those early season practices and those non-conference games are incredibly, incredibly important. And if Hunter Salas can show his full skill set and dominate right from the start, he could be first in line to get those minutes. And then it's up to him. And it's up to him to capitalize on those minutes once he gets them. Here's some optimism as to why I think that could happen. Number one is his athleticism. And it's funny because uh, my wife and I were talking the other day and she brought up how she hates when announcers say that an athlete has great athleticism. Of course they do. That's why they're playing professional sports, she says. And to that I say, fair point. But there are certainly levels of athleticism. And Hunter Salas is on the elite tier when it comes to pure athleticism. He is one of the bounciest guards Gonzaga has ever seen. He just, he absolutely jumps out of the gym. In terms of actual skills, I think he's got a great mid-range game. I think it's yet to be seen whether he shoots it well enough from deep at the college level, but his mid-range game is good. He's got an incredibly explosive first step, and his ability to play in transition uh, is really, really high, and I think all those things make him a very enticing player. He also has really, really good length defensively, and I think he could be one of the better one-on-one defenders on this coming season's roster. So if he can translate all of that right away, it's possible he can steal minutes from either Bolton or Harris or Strother. I've mentioned before on here that I'm not sure he's a one-and-done player, which is you know his recruiting ranking being in the top 20 would tend to lead you to believe that he could be a one-and-done player, and he could be. Uh, but ESPN's latest 2022 mock draft agrees with me that he's not uh, a one-and-done player because he's not on their draft board. But, like I said, he certainly has the potential to move up there if his talent and athletic ability mesh together. And he doesn't always rely on the latter to make up for the former. 
I think Salas is going to be really fun to watch the coaching staff develop because the tools he has are really, really intriguing. 247 Sports has kind of a, an intriguing player comparison to Tyrese Halliburton, which I think is super interesting. Both of them are the same size, essentially. They're right around 6'4", 6'5", 180 pounds. Halliburton was much more of a lead creator in college um, than I think Hunter Salas will become. I think Salas is more of an off-guard. But I think their career arc could be pretty similar. Halliburton as a freshman averaged just under seven points, and he had three and a half assists. And then as a sophomore, he became the dude. And he averaged 15 points and six assists and then went off to the NBA. I don't think Hunter Salas is going to get to those assist numbers, uh, but I would not be shocked if that overall progression ends up being fairly similar. A great role player as a freshman and then just turns into an absolute superstar as a sophomore and goes, you know, in the lottery somewhere uh, in the 2023 draft. To be a superstar as a freshman, he's got to get off to a great start and he has to adapt to get that playing time. Adapt to the speed of the college game, adapt to Gonzaga's system, adapt faster than the other guards on the roster. Adaptability is the name of the game, and it's Hunter Salas' path to playing time this season. Okay, that is going to do it for today's show. We will be back on Monday to recap some summer league action. We'll look back at the 2005 Gonzaga Bulldogs, and we will continue, of course, our Path to Playing Time series with some words on Yvonne Ejim on the women's side, who could be the next great Gonzaga forward. Before we go today, if you are a baseball fan, betting on the MLB does not have to be a guessing game anymore. If you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favored picks, and of course, Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked on Bets podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, you can also write and subscribe to this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating, especially because it is Five Star Friday. You can follow me on Twitter at SCargo. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Zags. If you want to email the show, feel free to do so. It's LockedOnZags at gmail.com. Everybody, enjoy your weekend. We will see you back here on Monday morning. It is a great day to be a Zag.